Well, good morning, Fellowship family. I want to invite you to stand and sing with us. We're going to proclaim the greatness of our God together through song. Sing how great he is. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God is son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and Take away my sin Then sings my soul My Savior God to thee How great thou art How great thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to thee How great thou art How great Shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art! My soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, fellowship. We're so glad you're here today, and welcome. Hey, maybe you're new, uh, like I am. Maybe you moved here from Africa, like I did. I don't know. And uh, we would love for you to be connected here, and for this to be your home church, uh, if it's not already. And so, in the back foyer, after service, we'd love to connect you 
to some very welcoming people that we have in the center booth back there. They would love just to know your story and who you are and connect with you. And so we thank you for being here today and choosing this as your worship experience. My name is Jason McMahon. I'm the new global outreach pastor here at Rogers, and I'll serve also at Mosaic. One thing that I'll do uh, when you see me come up is I'm going to remind you that Jesus loves us as Americans, and he died for our sins on the cross, but he did that for the whole world. And so I'm going to be here to remind you of that. And so I want to explain something, because as I've taken this job, people have asked me, they're like, what happened to Brian Pope? And uh, I'm like, oh, we still have Brian, but he went to Fayetteville. And so he's going to serve in this role at Fayetteville Congregation. And then Doug Rains is now going to be in Bentonville serving, and I will be serving the Rogers and Springdale people here and at Mosaic at night uh, on Saturday night. So I'm so glad to be in this spot and to uh, get to share what Jesus is up to in the nations with you guys. Uh, we've got a couple announcements for you that we want to remind you of. Um, grief shares coming up August 9th. You have two options there. Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock is an option, and then Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock is an option for you. Okay, and so if you're, if you're struggling with something in the grief area, that'd be a good place for you to join and to connect there. Do you have kids like I do? If you have kids, we're coming up August 14th on Promotion Sunday. And so your kids are going to be on the move, possibly. The best place to figure that out is, I found, is to ask them because they're very excited about this move uh, and this promotion. So you can ask them. Or you can go to the website and you can get the really accurate information. What I really want today, though, is to share a very, very good story with you. And it's a very special story uh, that we're excited. Uh, today we have Andrew and Rebecca Good. They serve in Southeast Asia. Um, they're from our congregation here. These are Springdale folk. And uh, we're going to let them tell a little bit of what's been going on out there since they've been gone. So, Andrew, help us out. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. Um, there's a picture that's going to come up here. There's a young man in the back of this. His name is Yudia. And uh, he um, was born into the second largest unreached people group in the country that we serve in, um, a Muslim-majority people group. But amazingly, somehow, by the grace of God, his parents are actually believers. So he grew up knowing who Jesus was. Wow. Um, and, and it was in high school where he decided to follow Jesus with his, his whole entire life. It has been amazing over the last year and a half we've been had the chance to disciple him as he's just been learning, hey, what is it like to be an obedient follower of Jesus? And um, so we're, you know, so excited. So for the last couple months, he's actually been in an unreached people group um, serving, reaching out. And I just heard from him a week ago that uh, they, him and his teammates there, they decided to take a trip. We call it Luke 10 trip. So if you look in scripture, when Jesus sends out the disciples in the 72, he says, don't take any money belts, um, don't take extra sandals, rely 100% on the spirit. And so they go to this, this remote village, take a boat to this remote village, and right away they are greeted by the, the chief of the village. And they're welcomed in um, and give them meals, and they're able to share stories of Jesus, um, even the Jesus, the Jesus film. And so, you know, just an awesome opportunity. I just want to pray or have you guys join us in prayer um, for the Bajau people and for Yudia. Um, yeah. That's great, Andrew. Thank you. Um, Rebecca, tell us a little bit of just how these people might know you. Hi, everyone. Yeah, we, our names are Andrew and Rebecca Good, and 
These, I think we have a picture. These are our two kids, um, Lennon and Noah. And we just want to say hi, introduce ourselves. Um, this journey started for us. Actually, I was on staff here at Fellowship with our early childhood team. And I got to join them to, on a trip to Southeast Asia um, and just see and hear stories of the opportunity um, to just raise up, disciple, come alongside Christ followers in that part of the world and just the need in such a spiritually dark place, a very heavy um, majority Muslim place, just the opportunity to come alongside these Christ followers and release them as leaders to their own people. So we get to have the opportunity to come alongside people like Yudia and, um, yeah, release them to their own people. So we're just so thankful. Thank you, everybody, for um, your support financially. Prayer, just talking to us while we're over there is huge. So, um, yeah, we're just joyed to be here. Guys, we love the goods. There are people. They're from Springdale, yeah. A lot of you know them because Andrew's probably taught your kids or maybe Rebecca held your babies. There are people, and I said, how can we help you? How can we take care of you today? What's a need that you guys have as you go away from us? And they said, nothing for us. Can you help our friend? He needs to be trained. Um, we, need, we need some funds to train him for the ministry that he's gonna do. And so they're going to be in the uh, foyer in a booth at the back. Um, you can find them. If you want to hear more of this story, you can talk to them. They'd love to connect with you and tell you that uh, after the service. But let's see if we can help them meet those needs uh, for, for Udia there in uh, Southeast Asia. So thank you guys. I'm going to pray for them. God, we thank you for Andrew and Rebecca. We just thank you for their faithful uh, service overseas. We pray that you multiply their efforts. We pray that you bless them and that you keep them uh, bonded together. Help them to belong here and help them to multiply and train and equip spiritual leaders there so that they may go. Help us to remember to pray for them. Help us to support them uh, in any way possible. Help us to give our treasures for your kingdom, God, wherever you're working. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, would you stand with us? I want to invite you to continue to praise the Lord, for he's worthy. Not only is he worthy, he's merciful and he's good. So let's lift up these songs to him this morning in that spirit. Church and sing. 
Take this second verse together. You're rich in love. You're rich in love and you're slow to
church, sometimes we can go into autopilot as we gather in this time and in this place and just cruise through. But right now, I want us to take a moment and pause and just remember and consider the significance of, of why we're even here. David Peterson says in his book, Engaging with God, that in the Old and New Testament, that true biblical worship is engaging with God on his terms and in the way that he alone makes possible. So what does that mean for us right here and right now? To engage with the holy God on his terms and in the way alone that he makes possible. What that means for us, church, is that we worship through the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That trusting in Jesus Christ isn't simply the gateway to salvation. For those of us who follow Christ, the one true living God, it's also the daily path that we're called to walk together. And so we worship through trusting in Jesus. So why is that so important for us? It's important because if we're trusting in anything or anyone else, that ground is sinking sand. My circumstances in life, they change, and my fickle heart and my mind lies to me. My goodness is like dirty rags. I can never accomplish what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for me and for you. And so, what is our response to that? When Romans 12, Paul says that a response to what Jesus has done and who he is, that we're to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him. That's all we can do. He's done all the hard work. Now we just respond in gratitude, offering up our lives to him and trusting him more. So let's do that together this morning and just remember who he is and what he's done 
remember the gospel, remember that before the throne of God, we have a great high priest who forever he lives and pleads for us. So let's respond in thanksgiving this morning.
may be seated. I was afraid he was going to go again, Robert. You and I did that a few times. Robert would come out to speak and I would start a song again just to get him, you know. (laughs) The word of God speaks, so we must speak. John chapter 20 is where we are today talking about Thomas. And I just want you to listen for a moment to the story. Jesus has been crucified. He died and rose again on the first day of the week. And this is that day. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they were hiding, afraid the Jewish leaders would come after them next. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace. The Hebrew equivalent is shalom, being in a state of peace. Peace be with you, he said. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I'll jump forward a little bit. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, You see, when you're overjoyed about something, you want to tell somebody else, don't you? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, characteristically Thomas, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, they're still hiding. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And I want you to think about something here the look. The look, Jesus looking into the eyes of Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Our focus today is simply this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The shortest distance between two points is a... Thank you very much. A straight line. Shortest distance between A and B is a straight line. But we tend to overthink things, don't we? We tend to overthink it and and we go left and right and, and back and forth. And sometimes it's because of inner reasoning. 
Sometimes it's because of, of an ignorance of biblical truth when it comes to biblical things. And sometimes it's by worldly coercion. But we forget that sometimes the most simple answer is the best answer. Take creation, for example. Creation. You know, we, we get caught up in all sorts of things. Uh, we, we get caught up in discussions about evolution or was everything created out of nothing, ex nihilo. Uh, we talk about evolution or uh, uh, theistic evolution or progressive creationism or special creation. We talk about young earth and old earth. But I tell you, for me, this is enough. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. Straight line. Straight line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not wrong to study all those other things. No. But that's enough. And that's what God chose to tell us. That's what we have. And so today we study Thomas. Why couldn't Thomas just take things at face value? Why, why couldn't he just accept it for what it is? Just believe rather than doubt. But no, you see, he had to do the unthinkable. To doubt what the disciples had told him was surely true. You fill in the blank. Say it. Yeah, yeah. That's what he's remembered for. But before we get too tough on Thomas, let's let you fill in the blank here with your name. What would you be known for? Happy? Dopey? Sleepy? What might it be? What will you be remembered for? During the post-resurrection appearances, Thomas is one of the characters that we remember most because of his doubt. Have you seen the sketch, uh, the, the skit, whatever you want to call it, on, uh, see it on YouTube, um, but where older people my age are asking Siri a question and they get the answer from Siri and then they say, I don't know about that. <laughs> and they just keep on, I don't know about that. Every time Siri gives them an answer. I, I was talking to a fella just a few weeks ago about the efficacy of God's grace and about how that God's grace is enough his finished work on the cross is enough. And we began talking about if someone came to the end of their life but had rejected Christ and not believed all the way to the end of their life, if they accepted Christ then, that God's grace is enough to save them. And he literally said to me, I don't know about that. When are we going to learn that we can't merit our own salvation? But there's no amount of work that we can do. It's what Christ has already done. His finished work on the cross is enough. I digress. Was Thomas a dud? Do you think there were times when Jesus said, boy, I wish I hadn't picked that Thomas guy. He's a, <laughs> he's a stick in the mud. 
Boy, he didn't bring any joy around the campfire. No, John 2 reminds us that Jesus knew what was in a man. And he knew there was something in Thomas that would stand firm. He was a guy who would speak his mind and that would serve him well toward the end of his life. Thomas is mentioned 11 times in the gospel and he's quoted four times. Let's look at some of those quotes. One we did just a few weeks ago. We talked about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and Jesus made the decision to go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples said, why are you going back there? The last time you were there, they tried to kill you. And he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And as I told you, it wasn't a bold statement. I think he was saying, let's go with him. He's going to get us all killed. That was just his character. One who would doubt. And in John 14, in the upper room discourse, Jesus is telling them that, that he's going to come back then and take them back to be where he is forever. And what did Thomas, he said, he ends it by saying, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He stepped up again. And what did Jesus say? One of the most pivotal verses that you need to have in your bank. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We need to internalize that verse because that's not the, what the world tells us. You tell someone that Jesus is the only way today, and you know what they're going to say? I don't know about that. It's through inner reasoning. It's through an ignorance of scripture. And worldly coercion. And that will take you to a deep dark place. The next quote was. The one we just read where he said unless I see the nail marks in his hand. Unless I can put my hand into his side. We'll talk about the fourth quote later. Do you ever doubt things that you read in the Bible? Do you ever think, ah, I think that's just a metaphor. That's not really true. Well, let's look at some things that you may doubt in the scriptures. What about your salvation? Have you ever doubted your salvation? Nod your head. Yeah, you probably have. Anytime I lead someone to Christ, I take them to John six forty seven. Look what it says. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes will have eternal life. No ifs, ands, or buts. And the very first thing we do, I have a Bible over in my office and in several of my Bibles. Whenever I lead someone to Christ, I have them sign their name in my Bible and put a date right beside it. And I ask them that when they go home, that they do the same thing in their Bible, that they find John 6, 47, that they sign it right there and they date it. Because when they have doubts, not if they will have doubts, but when they have doubts about their salvation, I want them to be able to go back and put their finger on that verse and remember that moment when they ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart. And his promise is enough. The one who believes will have eternal life. I encourage you. 
In your Bible, find John 6, 47. Sign it, date it. Sign it and date it. What about the word of God? Is it really true or is it just a, a collection of, of writings that, that writers put together over the millennia and we call it the Bible and, and we follow that today? Is, is that what it is? Well, let's look at some scripture. We have to prove scripture with scripture. And if you don't believe in the scripture, there's not a whole lot I can do for you. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Many of you know this by heart. All scripture is God breathed, breathed out for God, by God. And is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. It is all we need. And then one you may not be so familiar with. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to it. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. And, and listen how beautiful this is. As to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. That's why we believe in the verbal plenary interpretation of Scripture here at Fellowship. It is the ultimate authority. Will God really fulfill His promises? Have you ever doubted that God's going to fulfill those promises He's made to you? Look at this, Romans 4, verse 20. Paul is speaking about Abraham. He said, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Credited to him as as righteousness. I hope your windows aren't down. <laughs> Titus 1 and 2. Paul says this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God keeps his promises so says the word of god and then this one does god really care about little old me does god really care does he know my name or like some of the the supposed theologians said oh he was just the clockmaker god he wound it up and set it aside and it's still running but he went off to play somewhere else no he's not the clockmaker god 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due, in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because what? He cares for you. He knows your name. Matthew 10, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside the father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
That's how much he loves and cares for you. He knows you and me. Will he really meet my needs? And this verse is one that changed my life. Bought that Bible when I was 19 and started reading the Old Testament. Couldn't understand it, so I jumped to the New thinking it might be a little easier. And when I got to Matthew chapter 6, boom, the light bulb came on. Because I was worried about my future, how I would ever provide for a family, if I would ever get a job. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if God takes care of the birds of the air, if, if he clothes the flowers of the field, how much more will he take care of you? And then he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And he, he spoke to me in that moment. If you take care of my business, I'll take care of you. That's still true today. If you take care of God's business, God is going to take care of you. He will meet your needs. Not necessarily your wants, but your needs. God cares for his own. Is he really going to come back? You know... Are we really going to look up in the eastern sky and, and he's going to be, is he really going to come back and rule and reign, establish his kingdom on this earth? Is that really going to happen? Amen. Say it again. Verse 1 of John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. And this is what Thomas responded to. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. The old King James Version said mansions. I kind of like that, but I'll stick with the room. Room's good enough. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. What about Satan? Does Satan really exist or he is, is he just the boogeyman that we created to make our children behave? Is that something we just needed to make us walk the straight and narrow? So we, no, look at this. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Luke chapter 10. That's pretty telling, isn't it? He saw him fall at lightning. First Peter 5, 8 through 9. And those who uh, adopt the amillennial view uh, really have trouble with this one. First Peter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Yes, Satan is real. And for those who don't believe it, at the moment you say you don't believe that there's really a Satan, that that's just a, 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 an imag something we've imagined, that's the moment when you are most vulnerable. That's the moment you let your guard down, and he will exploit the weakness in your wall, and he will take you down. He will take you down if you don't believe he exists. You have to stay strong in the Lord. What about Lot's wife when you read that back in Genesis? She became a pillar of salt. I mean, really? Really? I kind of thought about it. Maybe it was snowing that day. You know, I don't know. Maybe so. Until you come to Luke chapter 17. And what does Jesus say? Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. 
And so, you know, a lot of the things that we doubt when we come to Scripture, they get blown away by the truth. There are instances of doubt in the Scripture. And it didn't didn't work out well for them. Instances of doubt, like with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was serving there in the temple. This was his big day. You had to wait in line to get chosen to do that. And he was there in in, in the inner sanctuary of the temple having the opportunity to serve. And an angel appeared to him and like to scared him to death. And, And after the angel made the proclamation about John the Baptist, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> That's how what you would say if you saw an angel who brought you a message from God. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Inner reasoning. Inner reasoning. And the angel said to him. I think he started with, let me tell you something. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. He doubted. Because he reasoned in himself. Oh, this is really not possible. We need to believe it when God. What about Peter and Rhoda? This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Go back and read the whole Acts chapter 12 about this story. Peter is in prison. He's shackled in the jail cell. An angel comes. The shackles fall off of his arms. The door to the jail opens by itself. I mean, it's just miracle after miracle. Things that are happening to free. Meanwhile, the church is gathered together behind locked doors and praying for Peter to be released. It's an incredible story. And Peter is standing there in a street after being released. And the scripture says... When this had dawned on him, he finally believed it. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Here he is knocking on the door. She hears his voice and she thinks, it's Peter. And so she doesn't even open the door. She goes back and tells everybody else, Peter's still standing there knocking. Open the door. Open the door. When she, uh, uh, in, and then she went to the people. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. It's the very thing that they've been praying for. That Peter would be released. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting it was so, they said, oh, it must be his angel. They think, oh, he's died. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Isn't it astonishing when God answers our prayers? What about John the Baptist? And it causes us to ask the question, Is doubt sin? 
What does Jesus think about our doubts in our humanness, in our frailty? Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This is John the Baptist. This is the one who leaped in Elizabeth's womb when Mary made the proclamation that she was pregnant with the Messiah. This was John the Baptist who said to Andrew and John, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was John the Baptist who, who baptized Jesus and was witness to the Trinity being present there at the place of crossing. Where the voice of the Father spoke, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit descended like a dove on the Son who was in the water. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son were all there in one place. He witnessed all that. And yet during this time when he was in prison and no doubt down and depressed because he couldn't be out spreading the word, he doubted. And he said, go ask him. Are you the one? Is it really you or, or should we be looking for someone else? What was Jesus' response? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing. Tell him all these things are happening. And was Jesus frustrated with John? No. Look at Matthew eleven eleven. He said, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, even though he had doubts. He said, there's nobody greater than John. But then he goes on. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Who is he talking about? You. You know why? Because you got something that John didn't. It's through the word. You are a witness. To the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That saves us from our sins. That's a wow moment, isn't it? Mm. So doubt. I want you to know this. It's normal. It's not an indicator of weak faith. You will go, you'll go through tough times where you wrestle with things and, and you may doubt, but it's conquered by searching the scripture. Get back in the scripture and remind yourself that God's word is true. It may lead you to greater knowledge discoveries of who God is and what he's done. It may renew your fervor and your commitment to Christ. But let me make something very, very clear. When doubts come, you're going to listen to one of two things. Either the world or the word. You're going to listen to the world. Or you're going to listen to the word of God. You've got to choose. Which one are you going to listen to? Which one are you going to stand with? If you struggle with doubt, remember the words... 
found in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus encountered a boy. A demon had made this child mute and he was lying before Jesus, foaming at the mouth and convulsing. And I love the tenderness of this and how Jesus took interest. He asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. The boy may have been scarred. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus turns this around if, and says, if you can. The question is not if I can. It's if you can. You see, the issue was not about Jesus' ability, but the man's faith. And then he said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You relate to that? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a confession. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But the tenderness of Jesus, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. The demon was gone. Say these words with me. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Well, now back to John 20. Now it's Thomas' turn. The disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then the look. He said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And now we have the fourth quote of Thomas in the scripture. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. That's what we should remember Thomas for. Not that he doubted. You see, it's not so much how you start in this life, it's how you finish. Thomas finished in the right way. He said, my Lord and my God. I was studying this a couple of weeks ago and and I knew, as I thought about how Thomas had finished, I knew that he had been martyred in India. And I wondered, I wonder where in India he was martyred. And so I looked it up. And there, there's a burial site for him in a place called Mylapore. And then I looked at Google Maps and broadened it out. And it's in Chennai, India. Robert, we've been there. Thomas was run through by a spear in Chennai, India. Years ago, I spent, I mean, Robert's been there what, several times. But I spent 10 days there with over 400 pastors from all over the country, 
Many of them were barefoot. Some of them, some of them walked for two days to get there and then rode a bus for two days and then rode a train for two days. They were hungry to be trained in the word of God. Such incredible, incredible people. Look at the next slide. See their faces. I can still hear them sing. They love the Lord. And now under so much persecution in India. It wasn't how Thomas started, but how he finished. Toward the end of the 19th century, a guy named Alfred woke to read his own obituary. How would you like to pick up the paper one day and see your obituary in there? That's what happened to Alfred. And it said this, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite who died yesterday, devised a way to kill more people in war than ever before, and he died a very rich man. Well, actually, it wasn't Alfred who died. It was his older brother. And the person writing the obituary had, had botched it. But it got Albert's attention, Alfred's attention. And he thought to himself, I don't want to be remembered for creating a more efficient way to kill people in war and then amassing a fortune doing. And so he changed the course of his life. He wrote later, listen to this, every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. And Alfred walked away from making the dynamite. And he developed the Nobel Prize. Nobel Peace Prize. And that's what we remember him for. Is the Nobel Prize. So I have a question for you to ponder. What are you going to be remembered for? Is it time to change your epitaph? When Thomas said, my Lord and my God, look how Jesus answered his statement. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John goes on. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. In the last five verses, the word believe is used five times. Concluding the story of Thomas. Believe. Don't doubt. Believe. You won't regret it. Would you just bow and take a few moments? And consider what you might be remembered for one day. It's not too late. To rewrite your epitaph.
and sing this one last time with us. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. We are Ed and Guanaco Parish, and we serve on the prayer team. And if there's any one of you who stand in the need of prayer today, come join us in the prayer room, and we'll greet you there. We'll love on you just a little bit. We'll pray with you, and we'll pray for you. The prayer room is here to your right in just a few short steps at the end of the hallway. And we'll see you there. You know that prayer is the most powerful weapon that God has given us. To, to those challenging daily situations that we may be confronted with. And in James 4, it says that when we pray, that we draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. So as we close out our service today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we've just come to thank you for the comforting of our hearts today as we worship with you in spirit and in truth. And as we depart this place and we go our separate ways, we pray peace, the peace of God over every home, 
We pray the loving peace of God over every family and that the light of Christ will shine brightly in our hearts, directing our path. May peace be with you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.